Hi, I'm Eric's mom. And I must admit, I'm not too pleased with he and his friend Joel. Because sometimes I understand they're kind of vulgar. But as a feminist, I see they're speaking from their heart and trying to become more enlightened men. Belt! A two-man memoir. So, fucker, listen to this. This is really bad. Yeah, what happened? I was trying to take a leak. Yeah. First of all, like, just the idea of trying to take a leak is, like, that's already pretty bad. That's true. Most guys just say, I'm going to go take a leak. Yeah, you don't think about it. You, you, like, whip your cock out and you just start peeing. It's like, you know, it's supposed to be automatic. It's involuntary. Involuntary. But you had to will this. You had to will the pee. I couldn't even stand up, which is also pretty bad. Like, I'm a 46-year-old man. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be able to just stand up, take a leak without thinking about it. But you do have an odd gait. I do have an odd gait. (laughs) People, it's true. People recognize me on the street by the way I walk I see you from behind and I think that man is deformed. Yeah, I'm deformed. I have bad posture. You have terrible posture. So I can imagine just standing for like a minute (laughs) over the porcelain might be difficult for you. I am am an excellent peer. I have a buddy of mine though who doesn't, who doesn't let me pee um, while standing it when I, when I stay with him. Oh yeah. You told me about that guy. He makes you sit down. He makes me sit down because even though I'm not so tall. And so I tell him that I'm not going to be spraying like from too far. So it's not going to create too much splatter. He won't let me stay over at his place unless I sit down because, you know, he's a, he's a neat man. Well, you know what? I'll sit down first thing in the morning, but as the day progresses, I'll stand. Really? Oh yeah. Cause you know, when I first wake up, I'm like, you're, you're, you're not thinking, really awake. I'm thinking, Oh fuck. And then I shuffle to the bathroom and I, and I just sit down and I pee. Are you dizzy at all when you wake up? Yeah, a little. Can you see straight? Yeah, usually. But really my day goes from, oh, fuck, to, oh, fuck. Yeah, then I'm standing up. From misery to, um, to euphoria. So really the angle of your piss arc is, I a, arc. is a way of measuring the, your mood. The, the mood of the day. Yeah, your so mojo. It, yeah, your the, mojo. The, the mojo that you might have that day. Peeing has measured. a lot to do with mojo. The, 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 the degree, the parabola, the arc of the parabola. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have to devise an equation. I used to be good at Do math. Do you know I was anything on the math about team. math? I used to be on the math team. Oh, the math team. I was good. How did you Not recover as, from being on the math team? I was, first of all. I, I mean, that's like being on the, I was the also, cross-stitch team or I, the macrame team. We didn't team. have a lot of teams in my Jewish school. We had the math team yeah. and we had the basketball team called the MCATs for all the aspiring doctors. And I was good in both of them. I was the point guard, and yeah. I was not the captain, though, of the math team because there was, there was a couple of dudes who were, like, fucking math geniuses. They were amazing. All right, so anyway, yeah, I was trying to take a leak, and it didn't work. You didn't work. I, I was trying to take a leak. I was already sh- I was shaking. Yeah. I was very sweaty. Turns yeah. out I had fucking pneumonia, now, when you and sweat, I didn't know that. Are you sl- a slimy sweater? I, I'm not really a or sweater. A, or a glistening sweater. I would say that you were more of a sweater than I am. I have pit sweat. Ugh, I mean, you're, throughout... you're probably stinky. You are stinky. No, no, I'm not stinky at all. I have, I have a very pleasing odor. All every, Everyone <laughs> else's smell from their um, body, from their underarms, according to the world, according to Eric, is, is terrible smelling. But for him, it's, of course, like the most beautiful scent in the world. They should bottle it. He does bottle it. He's trying to sell his um, sweat to so, all of so, you. So the salt stains that my sweat creates throughout the day under my arms turn to beautiful half moons. 
beautiful so half moons. I've sweat. Beautiful, fragrant half moons. I think I've started to sweat a bit more. Yesterday, I was running very, very slowly because it was 95 degrees, yeah. and I was sweating like a... You run like a like a two-toed sloth. I was going so slowly. It was yeah. really embarrassing. Yeah. And like there were times when I was really fast. It's very sad. Now I'm 46. You're younger... My kids oscillate thinking that you're either 60 years old in appearance <laughs> or 30 in dyeing your hair because you are a really fast looking old man. I'm a fast looking old man. You're, I saw you on the trail like when you didn't like recognize me and I was like, that's a really fast old guy. Which can either be good or just sad. Yeah. Like, oh, he's both. so desperate. Right. Yeah. So anyway. So you were there this, and you were peeing and you I had fucking peeing. pneumonia. And I had fucking pneumonia. So there was nothing good. You're 46 and have pneumonia. I had pneumonia. I mean, are you living like 1850? Yes. Nobody our age gets pneumonia. First of all, I am a man who likes caps, suspenders. I try to grow two beards, like um, this photo that I saw of this 19th century guy who like two long beards Those on either side. Lamb chops. No, it's not. Yeah, sort of lamb chops, but much longer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lamb chop is just take is like an a elongated half lamb, a lamb that's been stretched on the rack. That would be yeah. A it's tortured like, lamb. You I had tor- tortured lamb chops. Have you been to the torture museum in Amsterdam? I've not, but I was at a torture museum in London. Oh, yeah. The Tower of London has a little room with torture devices. These are not good. And I'm sure, you know, there were, there were at least some of my ancestors who were on some of those devices. So it's bad. And I was trying not to think about that as I was peeing because then there would be no chance to pee at all. Because I already had pneumonia. I was yeah. sweating profusely. I was slimy. I was passing out continually in bed. I didn't know I had pneumonia. I was like, yeah, tough it out. What did you think you had? I just was like, you know. Like, oh, I need a little extra rest. I need a little extra rest. I need some, like, you know, tea. You know, yeah, I need some, to get I need some, some sleep. Chamomile tea. Chamomile tea. I need yeah. some maybe, you know. Have you ever, when you get really sick, do you take um, garlic? No, because I live in like the 21st century you don't get and, and sick. believe in the efficacy of medical science. That is medical science. Oh, really? Just take, not, it's take, just not Western medicine. Oh, you're so fancy. Look at you. I was going to be a doctor. Your, with your suspenders. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, you, you I, know, live, I live with 19th century code. You know like what the, you want to be? An apothecary. I do. That's a term that's used often in Germany. And so like, you know, I was there, <laughs> I was there early in my relationship with Allison we were in Berlin yeah. at a show there and we went and there was a lot of apothecaries and she wanted to go to almost every single apothecary because they have good stuff in those things. Is that like why really she fell serious in love with you? They did because the, I was like, the, I would, I would not complain or I would complain, but not so much. Well, like on your first day, did you say, Hey, I really want to be an apothecary. And she thought that was hot. Yes. And did you show her your mortar and pestle? That, that got me laid. <laughs> Did, did you, I said, I said, listen, did you grind up some rose hips? I am a really good coffee grinder. I use the, I use a 19th century German grind, hand grinder. No wonder you got coffee. pneumonia. Exactly. It's really hard work early in the morning. You wanted pneumonia. I wanted pneumonia. And next you want tuberculosis and I then the gout that. and so, then elephantitis. Okay. So I think there was a part of me that did want pneumonia because I had yeah. worked really hard and I wanted to like take a break. But like, you know, the voices that we've been talking about, they're like, no. Men don't take breaks. Men right. work. Men can't relax. And so, like, the only way we, we can relax for, like, driven fuckers like us is to, like, get sick. I fantasize about a 99-degree fever. 99-degree fever. Just enough fever to, like, put me in bed. Yeah. But not bad enough to make me feel really terrible. Yeah. But I have these wonderful fever dreams. They're very surrealistic. And then, of course, you have a loved one caring for you. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. That makes all the difference. That would if be better. If you have a 99-degree fever by yourself and you're lying in bed, those surreal visions are just sad. 
Here's Dr. Keith Kaufman, clinical and sports psychologist. Um, I think anxiety is an essential part of performance and something that we need to be able to perform at our best, uh, but we want it um, only to a certain degree. I think when, when anxiety or worries take over to the point that, that we doubt ourselves or that we feel like we can't handle the task at hand, um, that's when it, it really works against us. And, and when you talk about the idea of flow, there's certainly different, different models of flow or different, different ideas of being in the zone. But one of the central ideas that, that sets up flow is this idea of what's called the challenge skill balance, um, which is the sense that you're facing a pretty big challenge, but that you believe at some fundamental level that you have the skills to meet that challenge. And um, in fact, the, the originator of that model, uh, whose last name is Sheik sent me high, um, he, he was even suggesting that, that you want to, the way I think about it, almost stand on your tiptoes to meet that challenge, that, that it's good to think about it as, okay, this is something that's going to be hard. This is something that I, that I really have to work at, but it's something that I believe I can persevere at and, and have success. Um, and, and I think a big problem that a lot of people have, is, as you were alluding to a few moments ago, but also certainly in sports, is, is this feeling of not good enough or this feeling that I have to convince myself I'm not good enough because that's what's going to motivate me to continue to strive. And, and so that's what really opens the door for anxiety. And, and I find that a lot of people motivate themselves with fear and anxiety and intimidation as opposed to this sense of being confident, this sense of being good enough, this sense of believing they have what it takes to meet the challenge. All right. So listen to this. So it, I didn't want it to happen like this. When I was a strong man, when I was like 18 years old and I, and I was in the desert in Israel and I had eaten a, a bad wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. shawarma. Why okay. were you in the desert in Israel? Okay. No, actually I was 21 and I had an art history thesis to look at all these Byzantine bird mosaic floors. Byzantine bird mosaic floors. From like this, it was very, it was very specific. Can you name one species of bird? No. In Byzantium? So uh, apparently, so like Christian bird mosaics, they look, they're, they had different kinds of symbology at the time than Jewish ones, whatever. So I wrote this thesis about this. I oh, was that's, going, that sounds so insightful. How did you figure that listen, out? Listen, man. So like, you know, there's, there's pure birds and there's um, impure birds in like Judaism. And in Christianity, they're like, no, man, all birds are pure. All birds are beautiful. And some of them maybe is the Holy Spirit. What's an impure bird? Like a kite? Like birds that like are like um, like a crow, man. You can't eat crows because they're like they're attackers. You know, of all the bird species, the crows are the most playful. Is that true? When they yeah, fl- you like crows. When they fly around, yeah, they're not doing anything. They're yeah. just fucking flying around because they like to. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? I want to fly. I mean, if I were a bird, I would go twee twee twee. Tauber means dove in in German, but it's actually not a dove, which would be a pure bird of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a pigeon. And that's like, you know, that doesn't have the same association. I'm really impressed with you knowing what a pigeon is. I know what a pigeon is. Versus a dove. Because earlier, you didn't even know what a fucking beagle was. Granted, that's a dog. I don't know what a beagle is. But I was just shocked. I'm still having a hard time working through that. A beagle. Yeah, I still don't know what it is. You just explained it to me a moment ago. You're just a fuck beagle. I'm a fuck beagle. (laughs) So listen to this, man. I'm in the desert, okay? Yeah, you're in the desert. And I was, you know, it was good. I had worked, I mean, I was going to work on a kibbutz there. I, I, whatever. It was, it was cool. And I was wandering around the desert 
and I had eaten a shawarma. Was like so like meat from like some like some meat vendor. Like in it the was desert. In the not pretty close <laughs> to the desert. I was like, yeah, that looks like good meat. Yeah. And it was like I ate the meat. Yeah. And it was not a good choice. Uh, I got food poisoning in turn. the middle of the desert. And I was all alone. So I was like, okay, I'm a strong man. And I, yeah. and I was like, I want to take a break. Yeah. But I want to take a break in the desert when there's no one around and there's no water. That's death. That's, that's death. death. <laughs> that's death. That's death. That's a long break. That's a really, that's, that's the that's last a, break. That's the last break. Yeah. That's quitting time. That's quitting time. Yeah. And I would have died. There yeah. was some random guys saw me and they like, they took me into their place and like, you know, gave me, hydrated me for like a day or two. Was it Elisha or Elijah who was um, ministered to by ravens? When he was out in true? the desert. Yeah, God sent down some ravens to help, was, to help one of those two prophets. I would think you would know that. I should have known. Given that you studied the Bible some of your it, entire life. Half of my knowledge went away when I was passed out in the desert and they like, cared for. But I should know this person's name who saved yeah. my life. Like, literally. You should. Yeah. You show, no, you show no appreciation to those who help you. If I had remembered that, then I would have been able to pee into the toilet because, you know, I was having fever dreams. Like, right. the world was spinning. Yeah. So and I was sweating. Like, I was slimy. So you're peeing, you're slimy, and then what happened? So Allison's caring for me, you know, and, you know, she's she's awesome, and she was bringing me, like, water and soup and whatever, but all I was, like, drinking, like, a little bit, and then I was passing out, and it was bad. And that yeah. was, like, for, like, 20 hours. And then I'm, like... Then I, but I'm having to pee. So I'm going there to pee and I don't remember the guy who saved my life before. No. And so you, at a you punishment. Don't know what, what prophet was saved by ravens? I don't know what prophet was saved by ravens. Yeah. So there was the bearded God in the sky. Yeah. Cast a lightning bolt on me. Yeah. Didn't allow me to pee. Knocked me out into the fucking tub. I passed out. I couldn't pee. I passed out with my cock out, like holding my cock with one hand. Did you hand. like pee up in the air as no, you were I falling down? No, I was like lost balance and I just passed out into the tub. No, I, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, yeah. didn't, you didn't pass out. I did. You fucking fainted is what you yeah. did. You're a fainter. I'm a, I'm a wimpy boy who doesn't know you about ravens. You need some salts or a fainting couch. If I had known what a beagle was, do you think I would have fainted? Or maybe if I know what a beagle was, you would have like spared me the term fainting, because that's pretty cruel. You're calling me wimpy boy, essentially. You know who's never passed out? Who? Fucking Snoopy. <laughs> <laughs> Snoopy can pee straight. Snoopy's a beagle, and he can pee straight, and he can flip his food dish up in there and let it land on his head like a hat. But that's <laughs> awesome. Wait, what? He can flip the food up and have it land on his head like a hat. Like, like he'll like. Let's 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 not let's not go into the aerodynamics. He, he does have really strong ears. He has really strong ears. Like Dumbo, he, it he's, can a good, fly. he's a good dancer. It's like if your ears are long enough, you might fly. Your ears grow all the time. I have really tiny ears. Well, you still have time to grow them because you know your ears and your nose keep. Can you growing. get Viagra for your ears? You need it. <laughs> <laughs> I have the ears of like a three-year-old. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You have tiny ears. I know. You're not much of a man. I can't even fit like earbuds in my ears. Really? They're so tiny. That's really pathetic. Isn't it? Yeah. It's very sad. Well, it's not as sad as you fainting in your bathtub. So I'm fainting in my bathtub. I have my cock probably in my... I usually use my right hand to hold my cock when I pee. What do you... You're a lefty. What, do you use, use you your You know what hand? I like? Yeah. I like peeing outside so I can just put my hands on my hips. Oh, I love doing and that. And just pee handless. I'm doing that every day. Actually, that's what I do now because like Allison's like, you know... Um, She's her desk is in our bedroom, and that's the bathroom I normally would use. So I'm just like, fuck it, I just pee in the yard. 
It's great. I, and, pee, I pee in my yard every morning before I run. Yeah. I love it. It's really good. It also keeps away the deer and other rabbits from eating our vegetables. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's it's not a pesticide. It's like the sweet aroma of my urine like is um is a guardian of the tomatoes and a guardian the lettuce. of the gourds. A guardian of the gourds. That's yeah. who you are. And I'm no longer I'm no longer passing out. It feels so great. I can stand and pee and it's yeah. all fine. So I I you know, so that feels like a, a I've liberated myself from death. Yeah. Here's Keith. Historically, the way that that sports psychology addressed this was through what are known as cognitive behavioral type approaches. And in sports psych, it's it's called um, psychological skills training. And and the thrust of it is that, you know, when you have negative thoughts, when you have doubts, that you identify them and you restructure them into more positive thoughts. Um, so you change a negative into a positive. And, and I think a lot of people think of sports psychology, they think of that's, that's essentially what we're trying to do. And something that, that I've done in my work and, and some other folks as well who have tried to kind of push the envelope and, and move sports psychology in some different directions have taken a slightly different view on it. And that's where the idea of mindfulness comes in and, and how it might be applied within sport. Um, and, and something that, that my, my colleagues and I, Dr. Carol Glass and Dr. Tim Pineau, we've, we've developed uh, a sports psychology intervention based all around mindfulness called Mindful Sport Performance Enhancement. And, and our view on it is rather than trying to change a negative into a positive, is that a little bit paradoxically, you welcome it in. And, and I said earlier that, that anxiety, for example, is a very natural part of performance. And if you can acknowledge, okay, right now I'm anxious and allow that to be what is, allow that to be your experience, all of a sudden that opens it up that you can make a choice about how you want to handle that anxiety, right? Do, do I want to maybe make a choice to take a couple of deep breaths? or to refocus my attention, or to uh, tense and, and release my muscles, do some things to try to release some of this extra tension that I'm feeling. Um, and, and so mindfulness is all about seeing something for what it is, allowing it to be what it is, and then making a choice about what I want to do, about what I want the next moment to, to be. Um, and, and that avoids something that, that has been studied in PST and psychological skills training, kind of um, older sports psych models, um, where, where sometimes when we're trying to change a negative into a positive, we accidentally or unintentionally draw more attention to the negative and get stuck in the negative thoughts. And I think a classic example of that is, is if an athlete is, is anxious and recognizes, for example, that she's anxious. And she says, oh, my gosh, I'm anxious. Now I've got I've to get rid of this. I've got to change this, this negative thought into a positive thought. But, oh, my gosh, I'm so anxious. And, and how that can actually drive more attention in, into the anxiety and, and get someone stuck, tie someone up in knots, essentially. And so we really see mindfulness as an alternative to that, as a way to embrace or accept something, even something that might be unpleasant or something that might di be difficult, like an anxiety experience, because that opens up that choice about how you want to manage the situation. Well, there's, there is something about getting sick yeah. and removing yourself from the pressures 
Yeah. Of of the voices. Of the male voices that yeah. say succeed, push, yeah. Yeah. try harder. Because guys like us won't let ourselves rest. Which is so really we need bad. An excuse to rest. It's really bad. Which is sickness. Yeah, we need yeah. to be able to not to know that we're not a failure or a loser if we actually take a break. Yeah. Because we're taught that we have to like keep pushing ourselves and succeed, and otherwise we're not a good man. We're not a yeah. strong man. So yeah, I've, I I I was feeling that. We feel that it's fucked up. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Um. You know, I've heard of people who get like really serious diseases. Yeah. Well, hell, I haven't talked to him. I just see him in movies. Yeah. And this idea that, that they really feel as if death is going to take them. Yeah. Unless they fight back. Did you have that feeling or is right. that just a movie trope? No. So, so I'm, okay, I'm holding my hand. I'm holding my cock with my right hand. Yeah. Okay. Like. <laughs> You're lying in your bathtub. No, not yet. I'm okay. holding it there. I'm shaky. I'm sweaty. Yeah. And I literally like my mind i black out and i fall into the bathtub i in the process i'm like well, what the fuck's going on here i reach out above my head with both arms i try to grab onto something the only thing i can grab on is our flimsy plastic shower curtain and they pull it over me like a death shroud. It's a death shroud. A death shroud. And it, ra- it it wraps all around me. And then there's like the metal rod. Did it come down too? It came down on me. And I'm just there. I can't move. I can't speak. I'm basically dead. And I'm It's think- like the psycho scene. The psycho scene. Is that what happens to her? When well, she gets stabbed in the shower, right. but she pulls down the curtain oh, as, I don't as, remember she, that. As, as she falls. Yeah, I was, I, I was, that's what happened to Janet me. Janet Lee. Janet Lee. Me and Janet. You and Janet. We 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 merge bodies. Janet knows what a fucking beagle is, I bet. She knows what a beagle is, and she 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 I I bet, well, I hope maybe she had the same negative voices that I was fighting. We all are fighting these voices. Well, she may have had a moment of recognition, but then she died because she was stabbed so many times. Yeah, so it didn't, that was bad. It that didn't was really a, take. It was an external force. Yeah, but not for you. So you were lying in your bathtub. I'm lying. You have the shower rod on yeah. your head. You have the curtain over your body. And then I had Basically, to- Basically, you're wrapped up and ready for the grave. I was ready for the grave. And and I and so the voices were strong. They were like the, vo- the negative voices saying- Joel, you you're not worthy. Joel, you're not good enough. You're not a good enough man. Joel, you're you aren't um you're not worthy of success. You know, um why do you deserve to live? Why do you deserve to succeed? Why do you deserve to be happy? And those voices were yeah. loud. And yeah. they were also coupled with I'm tired. I just worked really hard um and uh, and I needed a break, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to give myself the break. So I was like, "Well, death sounds. Maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I, um, and maybe I should just take the long break." And I, and those voices were so loud; they were, they were sort of there, and it was fucked up, man. And so I was, I was grappling with the yeah. angel of death, like Jacob, man, another Jewish. Oh dude. yeah, yeah. You really remind me of Jacob. I mean, Jacob would kick your ass in a second. Jacob never fainted. He never fainted. He was able to wrestle. He wrestled the angel. He wrestled angel. an angel. Yeah. Where, in Peniel? I don't know. But he... You don't know anything. I, about it. Where are you? <laughs> All right. So These are different words. You're using this sort of fucked up English version of where he wrestled. Like, I know the Hebrew, man. So whatever. I don't know. Whatever. So, but sometimes you were half in love with easeful death. To quote and, Keats. Yeah. Now, now, so, so 
I, I get that. That, yeah. that, that, that call of death as, a, as, a, as an escape. Yeah. Right? As, as an escape, escape you, from the pressure. Well, I mean, I've, I've had some really dark times yeah. um, in, all, in all seriousness. Yep. Um, as I've said on this show before, I, I suffered bipolar disorder. Yep. And there was a time right after my daughter was born mm-hmm. when, when I became extremely suicidal. Yeah. And I think, I think it played out like this. I am... Um, <clears throat> Up until the time she was born, she was born when I was 36 years old. Yep. Um, I was a serious workaholic. Yep. I mean, I really put a lot of value on success, yep. accolades. Yeah, that's what you were taught. Fame, that's what I was taught. I mean, my, my dad sent that message. You know, you're here to do things. You're here to succeed. That's what a real man does. That's what a real man does. He He's works. always winning. He's he always wins. winning. He wants, he's on top. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I did that on the football field and the baseball diamond when I was yep. in high school, but I just yep. transferred that over to academic work or to yep. creative work. Yep. Well, so my daughter is born, and because I want to, I want to be a good father. I yep. can't, I can't do as much work as I was doing. Yep. Um, so suddenly, it's like all those little, um, those practices or habits that I had to make myself feel like a man. Yep. To feel good were gone. Yep. And at that point, I was not diagnosed bipolar. I hadn't been to a psychiatrist, and I really, really plummeted. I mean, yeah. I, and I remember sitting. You know, late at night with my daughter on my lap and rubbing her back um, to help her go to sleep and thinking about a shotgun down in our basement. My Man. dad had given me um, his shotgun when I moved up to New York earlier. And I just could not stop thinking about that. And it, and it becomes a kind of obsessive thing. You know, when you become suicidal, and obviously I, I didn't try it, but it's it's scary to start thinking about death as a way out because you, I, I was feeling so much pain. So this narrative that we you were taught that we're taught to be a strong man, successful man was so powerful when you felt you you were still being successful, but you couldn't even give yourself your break. It was so powerful that so it was like me with the pneumonia. You you felt like you had to end things as opposed to admit being slightly less like it's of like I lost my whole sense of identity. Now, not that that was a healthy identity. It was yeah. just the identity that I'd forged for myself. The narrative, and I created this. Uh, so there's this, um, you know, the film Apocalypse Now. Of course. And, you know, the opening scenes when the Charlie Sheen character, Captain yeah. Willard, says, you know, every moment I'm in this hotel room lying around, I'm getting fat and weak while Charlie is strong squatting in the bush. Yeah. I created this little myth for myself. Yeah. It's like if I don't get up at 5 a.m., Charlie's squatting in the bush. Everyone else is getting stronger than I am. Yeah. I have to get up earlier than everybody to be the strongest. So it's also about the competition. The competition. So in other words, it's not about like your standards. It's about you in relationship to other people's standards. That's right. Yeah. So that was a really unhealthy way to think about myself. And and that's partly what contributed to this this desire of thinking, well, life's meaningless. I have no purpose anymore. Yeah. Why go on? Because we can't, we can't, it's not possible for even someone who wins the Nobel Prize or wins the Heisman Trophy or wins the MVP, like they're not going to win it every year. Yeah. And so they can't, no one can be on top like forever. But you want to, if you've been on top once or, I mean, in my case, not on top, but if you've had any kind of success once, you always want it. It's a drug. It's a drug. It, it, It is. Um, and then you were like, you were a, a full man or closer to being a full man then, and then you're not anymore. That's right. That's and you're right. a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fucked up. <laughs> well, so I was in a bad narrative. Yeah. I created a really um, negative narrative for myself. 
And I, I'd, I'd imagine my identity in a way that was ultimately quite detrimental. Yeah. And it put me in this position. Uh, and again, a lot of it was biochemical, certainly. Yeah. But this narrative catalyzed yeah. um, that that clinical depression yeah. in, in a way that was really, really dangerous. Yeah. Um, I felt like I'd lost my mojo. You lost your I'd mojo. I lost my mojo. So let's talk about what mojo means. Yeah. Like, so like, I mean, it's like a lot of ways it's these things that we're talking about now are so much about what we're doing on our show. Right. So like, what is mojo? What, what the, what are we even talking about? Like, I mean, so we want it. Yeah. And maybe that is the mojo, the opposite of like me passing out in the tub or you bringing your dad's shotgun into your mouth, you know, like. <laughs> I, th- I, I think those are two <laughs> good Starting places to define mojo. <laughs> so mojo equals not no shotgun in mouth or like shower curtain wrapped Sh- around you in the tub. F- fainted. Or no fainting. Yeah, no fainting. You said that so delicately. Fainting. As if you Faint. wanted to faint. I'm going to say it in falsetto. I'm going to embrace my, my, my feminine side because yeah. this is like the word fainting has got only, only women apparently are allowed to use fainting in a way. And so I'm going to embrace my feminine side by fainting, fainting, fainting. The way, the way, the way you're fluttering your eyelids fainting. really gives it a kind of piquance that I really enjoy. My singing teacher, Terry Radomsky, my falsetto is not been, I have not been practicing it enough lately. That could have been better. I am not enough of a man because my falsetto is not what it should be. No, it's not. It's but not. I won't even try to sing myself because I'm a really awful singer. I just when I sing, it's like I'm just talking loudly, 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 loudly. <laughs> I, I can do a pretty mean rendition of uh, the Beatles song "Norwegian Wood." That's cool because that's what I sang to my daughter. That's nice, man. Um, being a good dad, growing up, passing on other information that you're only and she's now a big Beatles fan, like and she knows thing. what a beagle is. She knows what a beetle is and a beagle is. A beetle and a beagle. Yeah. How many time? How many beetles would fit inside a mouth of a beagle? I think about thirty-seven. Yeah, that yeah sounds, I think about thirty-seven. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. You think a beagle would eat a beetle, or would it be distasteful? And would I think, consider I think, it slimy. I think you would like a beagle the size of a beetle, and I think you would like to swallow it. I would. And, and and it would just like 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 a cricket of some kind just rub up against your esophagus all day long. People eat crickets. You would really like that. People eat crickets. Yeah. Especially in but, Asia and they're apparently quite they're good. Dead. So if you have mojo. If you have mojo. You just open your mouth and a cricket flies right in. And you won't worry <laughs> about it. And you don't have to swallow it. It just goes down to your belly and you feel all So that's n- another definition n- of mojo. Yeah. The crickets fly into your mouth effortlessly. So... I think of mojo um, mainly in terms of sports. That's when I felt it the most. Yeah. And I know you've had some intimations of mojo. I used to be good at sports. You say that every episode. All right, listen, I'm going to describe one. You describe one first, but my story will, of course, be better. Because I have more mojo. I have so many examples of of having mojo that that I'm just crushed by the weight of them. Um, Uh. (laughs) But I, but I will I will muster one example. So, let's, let's muster one. So so for, so for me, mojo. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it in two ways. Okay. One way is now, like when I'm so immersed. Now you're just showing off. When I'm so immersed in what I'm doing, and it yeah. could be writing, it could be painting, yeah. it could be running. Yeah. 
that I feel like two minutes have passed, but really mm-hmm. like three hours have passed. Yeah. You know that feeling? I mean, at those, right. moments, those moments, self-consciousness goes away. You know, if you think about it, self-consciousness, is, it keeps us in time. Yeah. Because if you're self-conscious, you're constantly thinking about what's going to happen next and you're yeah. worried about it. Yeah. What just happened and you regret it. So the worries go away. The worries go away and, and you are like connected with what you're doing. Yeah. Just, I mean, you are really right. are kind of one with what you're doing. You're one with what you're doing. Yeah. The voices are not The voices conflicting. are not conflicting. So like, if, so I was a pitcher in high school. Yeah. So if I were on the mound yeah. and I tried to imagine what I looked like on the mound from, yeah. from the audience point of yeah. view. I would yep. freeze up yep. because it was almost always negative. Yep. But those games when that would go away yep. and I would just throw the ball. Yep. I mean, I, it felt like magic. Yep. It felt like I could not not throw a strike. Yep. And those are games when I would pitch no hitters. Yep. And it really is like a kind of magic. You really feel like you can do no wrong. Um, yep. Now, how do you get that? The great athletes know how to conjure that more yep. than everybody else yep. in some ways. For me, it always felt like a gift, like mercy or grace. And yep. when I tried to make it happen, it never happened. Right. But just sometimes I was on, I was in the zone, I was in the flow. Those are the great moments of life. Yeah. So we're, you know, listening to you talk and thinking about like our show, Belt. Belt. We, we're externalizing, we're verbalizing a lot of these voices that get in the way of mojo. And, um, that's right. And, yep. And we are, you had mojo when you said that I had mojo when I said that <laughs> because there was clarity, you yeah, know? And yeah. so, and so I was talking to my therapist the other day yeah. and I don't get to talk to him as much as I would like, but he's helped me a lot. And one of the ways that he's helped me was, and he told me the other day when I, I was like, Hey, I'm like, you know, there's, there's more negative voices popping in my head this year and they're louder and they're making me have anxiety and or more than normal everyone has some and i was i was feeling ramped up with anxiety and he said and i didn't really understand this but what he said was thank god for those voices in your mind because then you if you're able to hear them yeah then you can actually look at them like yeah. we're doing on the show and mm-hmm. like shred them and they're never going to fully go away and also, if people are expressing those to you, there's are people in your life, then you can confront them yes. with those things. Or if they're societal voices, then you uh, then you can look at them and deconstruct them like we're, we're doing. And so, like, you know, I mean, ancestors of mine who were in the Holocaust, you know, where people were saying, Nazis were saying... Um, you are Jewish and you're not human. You're not, you're not worthy. You don't deserve life. You're, you're not really a person or slave owners were saying that about black people, that they're not human or native Americans were not really human or they're not worthy. Um, and therefore we can attack or enslave and kill. But like, even if that's not happening, we're still getting these negative voices all the time. And they're, they're anxiety. Like, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You, you didn't yeah. win the Nobel Prize. You're not you, good enough. You're not good I, I mean, enough. I mean, that's really, that, I mean, probably everybody has a voice inside of his or her head yeah. that says, you're not good enough. And that generates fear. Yeah. It generates anxiety. Yep. And what you're saying is, in a way, that voice, if you become aware of it in a certain way, yeah. is a kind of invitation yeah. to rethink yep. how you're going to react to that voice. Yep. And it becomes an invitation to forge a kind of identity or, or a narrative. That's right. That doesn't allow that voice to shut you down. That's right. That in a way acknowledges the voice because it's there yep. and it's probably going to be there forever. Yep. But acknowledges in such a way that it, that it disempowers it. That's right. And it's all, and then really looking at it, like what yeah. are the criteria for what 
those voices are. You know, like, I mean, and those criteria for like evaluating, you know, us in these different kinds of ways could be really fucked up. And yeah. often they are. And mm-hmm. we've tried to deconstruct those things and like, but also be aware of them. And like, yeah, so like when he, my therapist told me that, that helped me calm those voices down. Like, oh, those voices are there, but I'm going to look at them. I'm going to verbalize them. And we're trying to do that together yeah. here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and move forward. And then there's Well, times- that's what this show is, right? Yeah. We're, we're constructing through our episodes and through yep. our conversation, a kind of narrative yep. of our manhood. Yep. By looking back at what's happened, but in interpreting those moments in our lives in yep. such a way yep. as to try to empower ourselves. That's right. Instead of have ourselves shut down that's by right. not feeling good enough. That's right. And like verbalizing things that we would keep inside- and that we all keep inside too often because guys don't like to talk about things. And that's why it's been so important on this show to be raw. Yeah. You know, to, to talk like we would really talk. Yep. Um, and sometimes that language has been vulgar, but that's that's exactly the sort of way that we need to work through yes. th- these issues by being real to how we would actually speak. That's right. I mean, this show is not just, it's not about anything. Right. It is. It is. It is. It I is mean, what it, it's it, describing. That's right. As my teacher, Ron Jones, expressed, like, yeah. that's what something really, um, that's a, what a great work of art is, and that's what we've tried to construct here. It is. And, yeah. it's, and not only is, have we gone for that, but, but yeah. it's been therapeutic for the two of us. Yes. I think. And so, hopefully it will be for everyone, because what, what we hope is that it's a model for how to look at to look at these voices that we all are confronted with and how to move forward as better people. And, um, and then we get the mojo, like then we're on the basketball court, like, you know, and, and like, I'm playing with, you know, my buddies from high school and like the MCATs on the MCATs and like, you know, and we're working in tandem and like, and, and the voices of like, you know, you didn't follow this law, you didn't follow that law, like, you know, go away. And then we're working in concert and those things are silenced and, and then whatever the internal struggles are, they can be shelved and we work towards something productive. You know, I like Maine Coon cats. <laughs> so if you had a Maine Coon cat, you could call it an M cat. I love that. In fact, I, I used to have a Maine Coon cat. You could have been on the team. We but should have been teammates. We should have been teammates with a mascot of a Maine Coon cat. That would have been awesome. I would have, I would have never passed to you. You wouldn't have. I bet you're the kind of guy who does like a 20-foot hook shot. You know what I'm doing right now, man? It's fucking beautiful. I am the assistant head coach. For seven and eight year olds, for Zeke and Ozzy and and um, their teammates, and I'm talking about defense and yeah. passing, yeah, and um, zone defense, man to man defense. That's cool. It's pretty fun, man. So this is the great thing about any team sport. Let's stick with basketball. Yeah. So the idea is for the team to move together in a kind of organic flow. That's right. But for that to happen, you have to have a plan. And you you need to trust each other. You have to have tech. No, you have to have technique. That's right. You have to do drills. And and, and, I mean, you have Uh to do something like very artificial in a way. Yeah. You have to do all the drills. You have to do all all the the strategizing. Only then can you become organic. Right. So you got to put in the time. It's like like exercise of the body and the mind. And see, for me, my my psychotherapist has talked to me a lot about this. He uses sports metaphors quite a bit to talk about the kind of psychotherapy we're doing. And it is like coming up with new habits that lead to more positive behaviors. Right. And just saying you'll do those habits six times a day, like you do reps on the court. It's really good. However many times. So there's a way in which, I mean, mojo does feel magic, but you can generate mojo in a way by self-consciously doing the reps. 
and some the right of, kind of reps. And some of those reps are externalizing the voices that We're are troubling doing your reps. mind. That's what this show and, is. That's right. And yeah. we shouldn't be scared as men to express those things, to make ourselves vulnerable. It's hard for men to do that, but we're we think it's important. Yes. Belt. Belt. Belt, a two-man memoir, is a podcast by Joel Tauber and Eric Wilson. Dino Herman composed the music and did the sound design. For this episode, Mojo, we interviewed Dr. Keith Kaufman, clinical and sports psychologist. Subscribe to Belt, a two-man memoir, and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And on our website, belt.live. Copyright, Eric Wilson and Joel Tauber. All rights reserved.